Hi, and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a board member and I'm also a producer at Jumper Productions and Tile Media. Last summer, RTE and Women in Film and Television hosted a special online talk featuring the work of two women filmmakers whose award-winning documentaries have been taking the festival world by storm. I spoke with Esau Talat and Cara Holmes about their films, The Grass Ceiling, and Welcome to a Bright White Limbo. Thanks to Isolt and Cara for allowing us to show the films. I think they're just so two such really special films. I think I, I've seen both of them at this stage three or four times, and they're 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 really great. Well done. Thank you. So I guess I just wanted to start out and maybe just find out a bit about how you came up with the films and how you got involved with them. So I'll start with you, Isolt, about The Grass Ceiling. Uh, do you want to talk a bit about how it came about? So uh, I had been really interested in trying to find a way to tell the story of women uh, in sport and just our relationships with our bodies on screen, but was kind of searching around in my head uh, for the right vehicle for that and then I read an essay by Ema Ryan um, which is called The Fear of Winning. Um, Ema is a camogie player and also a writer and um, it just really got, got a gut punch from reading it so I contacted her and asked her would she trust me with trying to develop that idea into a short and then we got I uh, myself and Kennedy Films, Frankie Fent was my producer, we got Screen Ireland funding in the same round as Cara um, and um, took it from there, yeah. And um, how did you go about like putting putting the whole idea together to just realising the essay into the final film? Yeah, so I knew that I wanted, uh, what, what struck me when I read Emer's essay was that it kind of is, it was so personal, but also was a kind of an every woman story or so. Um, I, I knew that structurally I wanted there to be three voices in it. Um, so I kind of wrote it out uh, like um, a spec script with imagined characters in it really and, and had written it in kind of a lyrical enough way so I had lots of sound and texture and how it came into my head and then um, went with that and, and would have submitted that to the film board and used that to um you know try to attract crew and stuff so that was a helpful exercise for me um and then casting obviously was hugely important um i think because you just brought it up there can we talk a bit about uh, casting and how you found the three women <laughs> yeah sure so emer the kamogi player in it is the writer so uh, and initially she had been reluctant to be on screen but um it felt like the like the idea I suppose we've seen after a dearth of for centuries of uh, women sportswomen on screen then there became a, something of a wealth of them but all through advertising so I really wanted to kind of take it out of the hands of advertisers mm -hmm. and tell the authentic story where we're not trying to sell a t-shirt or a I mean it's great that they do that it's done a lot for for our how we all see ourselves but um it needed to be told from 
from the heart as well with no other agenda. So, uh, yeah, so kind of with that in mind, Emer eventually agreed to be part of it. And um, and I had just read about Rihanna Jarrett, who's the soccer player, who's, and I found, I'd heard some of about her story and her twin brother, and I thought, God, that's really fascinating. So um, got chatting with her and the same, I, I have a friend, actually, he's an editor, some of you may know her, Roisin O'Donnell, who plays rugby with El Belvo and uh, had chatted to her. She understood my kind of vision for it. And she suggested that I talk to Elisa Byrne-White, who's the rugby player. Um, I didn't want, I was never really particularly looking for stars. I just wanted people who had something of uh, either an ability to kind of put words to their inner dialogue that they have monologue, whatever they have themselves or or have something to reveal. So I, I think with Rihanna, it's interesting that there was a kind of a, a shyness to her that uh, I think was quite rich to, to get across. Yeah. Great. And uh, Cara, uh, do you want to talk about um, a little bit about uh, Welcome to a Bright White Limbo, how that came about? Yeah, I mean, it feels like it feels like a long time ago now, but I, I came across Una Um, she was uh, it was one of her solo shows, Hope Hunt, um, that was at the Dublin Fringe Festival in 2016. Um, so, yeah, I mean, kind of like Isolt, you know, I kind of saw the show and just was totally blown away. And I wasn't um, necessarily looking to make a kind of dance film or anything like, like that. Um, but I just thought Una and her, like this particular show, Hope Hunt, um, the themes that she was working with, you know, kind of gender identity and class and home. And I just thought all of these things com combined as well as her kind of physicality and how she made the show and, um, yeah, just really interested. So I, I definitely wanted to know more. And um, and I think the next stage was, I, I, you know, I was kind of looking at her website and it said on her website, you know, open to collaborations. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is my way in kind of thing. Um, so then we just kind of started talking and, you know, kind of went up and filmed a few rehearsals with Una, got to know each other and, um, you know, it became quite clear that Una was, you know, a dancer and choreographer, but like she's also kind of a filmmaker and a collage artist and a, and a poet. And so, yeah, it was quite rich. And then, um, so then I approached Zlata Filipovic uh, to come on to produce because I know that she produced some great dance films like Motion Sickness um, uh, and another one called The Wake. So she she had seen the same show and uh, was also blown away. So between that and Luca Trofarelli, a uh, longtime collaborator with Una, um, yeah, it just, the idea <laughs> took hold, I suppose. It's so stunning. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful. I, I think I watched it again this morning and it's not, it's like, it's not really a documentary. It's like a hybrid documentary play dance film, isn't it? Yeah, I, like I suppose from the outset, I definitely wanted to kind of play with form and play with the documentary form and like, and I hadn't, you know, I, I you know, I'd seen a couple of the dance films and Irish dance films, but really just, I was just re like really interested in, in how how you can shape it around that particular show and um, and how do you kind of, you know, explore a process and 
you know, but also kind of getting to know a personality and Una's personality. But yeah, but then it came down to, again, like with Isol's film, you know, the physicality of it and what she could do with her body. Um, so there was lots of things to play with. And yeah, I wanted to do it all, really. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's quite layered, I suppose, yeah, in, in how it's formed, yeah. And um, the, the both films are on their festival run at the moment, aren't they? Or are, are they coming towards the end of it? Uh, yeah. I think they're. Yeah, I'm not sure how many, how many, how much more festival run. I mean, it's still chucking along, but uh, it's it's it feels like it feels like a I'm ready for the to be not peddling it around <laughs> for too much longer. What about yourself, Cara? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it kind of it had quite a life for itself through through COVID and lockdown. And, you know, I think uh, both of the films premiered at Cork in 2019. And then, you know, I think the last film festival that I was at, anyway, I'm sure it's the same with this old, was the Dublin Film Festival. And after that, it went on its merry way and travelled you know travel the world and uh just didn't get to go to anything so that that kind of was the downside you know that um you know it did it did do so well and you know kind of yeah it was yeah like you you like once you kind of put that much effort into a film like we all know this that you know you want to kind of celebrate it and you know enjoy the party too so yeah um i mean i think yeah it's it probably at this point it's coming to the end but because um it's it's probably now going on a different journey with Una because um, you know she's because there's you know live performance doesn't really exist at the moment so it's kind of traveling with her package as you know as kind of dance festivals you know instead of kind of the live performance they're putting on kind of Una's film work and the documentary and kind of different different things that can kind of move around in that way. So yeah, it's taken on a, a new a new festival route, I suppose, in yeah. that sense. Um, the, the grass ceiling is, is, there's a plan to try and get it into schools. So Screen Ireland had said they'd quite like sort of ch uh, school children around the country to see it. So there's uh, Frankie Fenton, um, my great producer is working on that to try and find a way of packaging it for schools to be great. That's brilliant. That's really great. Um, I have a question here about the, the sound mix. Um, the sound mix on both are incredible. How did you create them? <laughs> um, um, well, uh, I cut mine myself, so it, I'd always wanted it to be kind of a visceral experience and um, had a particular track um, music in mind and stuff. So I just, I'm not answering this very articulately, but it just came together in the edit. And then um, when I went into Raygun Post, they, uh, Colm and there did a really brilliant job at enhancing this work I had already done and um yeah I'm really happy with it it's it's great 
So I, uh, I got to work with um, a composer and sound designer called Dee Hexen. Um, I suppose Mick Mahon edited the film and we were working very closely together. So, um, you know, the film kind of for a long time had kind of a temp music bed, um, you know, kind of using commercial tracks that we knew we'd never be able to get. Um, so we were kind of, you know, cutting with that and um, so once that was stripped off um, and, you know, I was kind of building up kind of a sound, a sound bed as well. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of sound effects in it. Um, and yeah, so I was kind of looking around for um, someone in Belfast and um, Dee Hexen really kind of struck a chord because she can do both brilliantly well. And um you know, we were kind of, and, and even at the time, I think, you know, it was kind of, we, we were working remotely. So, um, you know, it was all that, you know, it was kind of going back and forth and passing cuts and um, just building. And, it, you know, it's kind of going back to the layering again, you know, and, and I thought uh, Dee just brought so much to it. So thank you to, to Jen, I think you asked that question because it was, yeah, like as of, you know, it was a big part part of the film yeah sure. and i i should say that, that we got um a track we got uh permission to use this beautiful track by connor walsh who sadly died um from his family so that was really beautiful at the start and then giles, giles packham who's a fantastic composer worked with me on the score um and we managed to convince this french um production like a commercial producer musician to uh, he has a, a there's a commercial track in it that I managed to convince him on Instagram private message to <laughs> let us have so it was an adventure and actually both of you are really uh well-known and established award-winning um editors um so I just wanted to maybe have a chat with you about how that kind of informed you your process as directors so um I don't know, Cara, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I think people assume that because you edit uh, that, you know, you're really kind of strict and tight on your filming schedule and what you want. But um, I'm finding that's not necessarily the case. But I, I, I think a big thing that, um, you know, kind of a learning from editing for me is that um, I really want to kind of get the treatments quite um I suppose I'm kind of you know just to kind of make sure that they're solid before going out to film anything I mean obviously when you're making a documentary you don't know exactly what you're going to get but I think for me it's kind of even to kind of get a loose structure together right from the very start um and then yeah that that's one thing you know rather than kind of going out and shooting aimlessly you know you know myself and Nizzle to know <laughs> that can be kind of problematic. Um, so yeah, so I, think, <laughs> I think planning, you know, that and, you know, and, and as well as, as editors, we know that to have kind of range and choice is really important also. So, you know, we, we might necessarily not, you know, we might not call it overshooting. It's just, you know, choice for the editor, let's say. Um, but yeah, I think I think planning, that's definitely something that, you know, I kind of learned from from the Limbo film and kind of going forward. Um, and, you know, like we can and I know it's cut her own, but, you know, it's that kind of thing. 
the ability to be able to assemble before an editor comes on board as well as um, it's all beneficial, I think, you know, because we I had a, a week with Mick just over a week with Mick in the edit and you know, like you just can't do it in a week. So yeah, there's a lot of prep work. Uh, so I suppose, yeah, it's, it's kind of the advantages of learning and knowing how to edit definitely helps. Yeah, planning, planning is key. Yeah, I think that, I think editing is so parallel with writing in a way, you know, particularly for documentary. I'm sure you'd agree, Carrie, you're often writing the story in the edit suite. So. I think that it was it's a brilliant um, discipline to go into to be directing with an editor's head on because your your instinct is to think in terms of structure and in terms of finding the real heart of a story. Um, um, so I think that really helped in terms of kind of being quite clear about knowing what you want going in and then. So in terms of treatment and prep, like Cara said, and also then just on set, um, I, f I felt like I was, even though I was, it was my first time, it felt like a natural enough place to be, to be trying to know what I was trying to eke out of people. Um, so yeah, I think it really it was helpful. Um, they complement each other, the two disciplines. Can I, Fiona, can I interject and because I have a question for Isolt and Cara. Um, I hate when people go on a huge long ramble and there's no question, so I'm just going to ask a question. What more can we do as filmmakers, as program makers, as content makers to bring underrepresented voices to our screens, to our small screens, big screens, to our radio programs? Um, you know, and by underrepresented voices, I mean people from ethnic minorities, people from the LGBTQ plus community, people from lower socioeconomic groups, people with lived experience of disabilities, um, you know, people that we don't, people whose stories we don't see enough on our screens. And I know that you're both very involved uh, with telling those stories and your movies showcase that. So, you know, as somebody who whose work is, whose job is to bring those stories to our content, I just wanted to get your your views on that. Go for it, Cara. Yeah, that's a biggie. <laughs> a big one, but a good one. Um, yeah, it's something that I think about all the time. And I think it's it's uh, really relevant at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's it's that kind of thing of, you know, who is telling the story and why are they telling the story? But it's also about you know, giving people um, from all those backgrounds, you know, kind of opportunities to create and and how do we do that? And I, I don't quite see that happening yet, um, you know, because, um, you know, I like, you know, for example, I, you know, it's, it's that kind of idea. Like there's there seems but there seems to be a lot of conversations around it. So I know that Screen Skills Ireland and like I've been even in the last six months, been to a few kind of webinars on diversity and um, you know, people from all sorts of backgrounds talking about how they want to be engaged in the film industry. Um, and, you know, that we're, we're looking at kind of, you know, different funds at the moment, like whether it's kind of Screen Ireland or BAI and, um, you know, people are really looking at who's behind the camera 
Um, and I think that's brilliant. And, you know, I think it's a really exciting time to be, to be uh, working in film. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening, but I'm not in, in those meetings. I'm not hearing, you know, I'm not hearing what's going on or, or how that's practically going to happen yet. Yeah. Um, but I love that there's so much conversation about it and want and need. Um, you know, I'm kind of developing a project um, about kind of queer women's experiences in Ireland. And, um, you know, I would hate to think that people would uh, think that there's, you know, there's there's one queer women's <laughs> name, you know, and I think it's important to kind of, you know, just keep these ideas kind of open that, you know, we should be making, well, in my opinion, we should be making, you know, 10 films made by people with disabilities and, uh, you know, about, you know, characters with disabilities or, you know, LGBT plus characters or filmmakers, you know, I mean, there's an endless amount of films to be made. Um, in a way, that conversation will never stop. As I yeah. always say, there is no moment, there's no set moment where in the conversation about inclusion will stop and we will all say, do you know what? We're fine. <laughs> nothing else. There's nothing else for us to do because the stories are endless. Um, yeah. So um, sorry to I think, sorry to an I think there's an appetite there, which I think Cara was talking about too, which is, so there, there's an appetite there. It's really about funding and about initiatives. Like both Cara and I were part of an initiative called um, Cross Pollinator or Ex Pollinator. Um, and so that was, trying to give a leg up to women in film, TV and theatre industry and um, and writers. So that was really brilliant um, and has led to lots of great stuff being made or developed. And I think that it's just about looking at the, you know, broadening the minorities that are being helped out just beyond white women um, and middle class women and um, really broadening it out and that funders and broadcasters find a place for it because it's not you know we can be so passive in terms of what we consume and what's really good at the moment is that like you were saying Cara there's so much conversation about it and I think because our viewing habits are so in the international now because of VOD etc that um there's worlds opening up to us and people are you can there's a marketing uh, playbook there, you know, that people want to see beyond their own experience. Um, so I think it's an exciting time. We just need to kind of tune in and stay um, alert. Thank you. Thank, alert. You. Thank, you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for this. And now that I have a captive audience, uh, if anybody has any feedback or any ideas uh, relating to diversity and inclusion or how we could do better as, as RTE, how I could do better, uh, my name and my surname is really unusual, but my email is very simple. It's just diversity at rt.ie, diversity at rt.ie. And I'm always, always, always in terms of inclusion. I want to include all the voices and uh, I am not afraid of criticism. So if you want to send me a missive that says, this is what you should be doing, please, by all means, I want to yeah. hear from you all. Um, I think there might be more questions from the audience. Uh, you can unmute yourselves if you want to ask that question via audio, or you can, uh, there is a question there from Renda on chat, Fiona, if you can, if you can see the question there, so. 
Um, so Brenda says, editing is such a controlled environment. How is it to be faced with the uncertainties of being on location? And how have you both adapted to that? I'm laughing because I'm thinking there's so, <laughs> there's so much that's not, not, not controlled and editable, <laughs> but I know exactly what Brenda means. So um, it was a total treat for me. I think it's great to be in a different environment. Um, and uh, yeah, I just found it, I just thought it was a buzz. Yeah. I would, I would agree with this ult, yeah. It's nice, it's nice to have a little bit of time outside of the edit suite. Um, and also I have to say, I'm really enjoying remote editing though as well. I think a lot of freedom has come with this. Um, so I'm flying the flag um, forever <laughs> for, for, remote, for remote editing. Um, yeah. But yeah, absolutely. It was, um, yeah, I mean, I love editing. I know Isolt does too. So it's it's about, you know, I, I mean, I started to direct things because I wasn't seeing, you know, my life or, or things that I was interested in necessarily in Irish film. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I took it upon myself. But yeah, it's, it's really refreshing, but a, a different skill set at the same time. Then I think there's one more comment here from Adele Fox. Two incredibly inspirational pieces of work. Huge congrats. And it's wonderful to hear you chat about working as directors which, with such a great rep repertoire of editing work over the years. Thanks. And that was my question answered. Um, I think we could start wrapping it up now. But before we wrapped it up, I, I just wanted to ask you both, um, just if you wanted to talk about what you have coming up next. Um, uh Cara <laughs> yeah well um yeah so I'm kind of I'm in development on a project um as I was saying earlier about um Irish queer women's history and basically have uh you know done quite a lot of research through uh through Covid and it's been brilliant because um there's been so many kind of LGBT archive webinars and just it's been a total joy um and I think, again, you know, once you scratch the surface on these things, you just come out with hundreds and hundreds of stories. And so, yes, hopefully many more films in that area to come. Um, and just finished a feature, editing a feature documentary called Farther of the Cyborg. So that's, uh, that's just launching now on the festival circuit. So we just heard yesterday it's, it's going to Tribeca. So that's all. Love Cara and Tribeca. <laughs> um, and I am keeping my finger in lots of pies so uh, I just finished editing um, with another brilliant editor Greta Ole um, Jim Sheridan's new doc series for Sky the Sophie Duplantier story so tune in in May and um, I am I'm developing a comedy drama series with two other female writers and um and tipping away at trying to develop some ideas to be to direct and I'm wrecked by um uh commercial content like ad production company as well so um some work should be in development with those guys soon as well brilliant but yeah like Cara I love editing and like neither but I think lots of people think that editors um are directors who just haven't got to direct yet but uh, I don't think that's true I, I don't uh, I don't think either of us are hanging up or anything but I definitely same as Cara it's the it's the stories that 
I want to watch myself are the ones that I'm interested in in getting my teeth into and kind of shaping into life. Great. Thank you. Thanks a million and well done again on two brilliant films. Thanks. And on my part, on my part, uh, Fiona, Isolt and Cara and everyone who joined us, uh, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for allowing us to show your films. Thank you so much for such an interesting conversation. And I do hope as there is a and as there is a connection between women in film and television Ireland and RTE, that this is just one, this is just the first of many of of, of, of kind of sessions like this. Um, perhaps uh, we will be able to at some stage meet in person uh, as well, or in a hybrid uh, kind of capacity. But if anybody has any feedback, you know my address is diversityrt.ie. If you want to, if you're from RTE and you want to join Women in Film and Television, I believe is wft.ie, am I right? Yeah, they're brilliant, they're so supportive. Yes, and let's keep the conversation going, and 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 let's let's keep in touch, as they say. But uh, I mean it, uh, and I'm so glad that we were able to do it. So thank you so much. If you'd like to support Women in Film and Television Ireland or follow the work we do, log on to wft.ie.